first this hour to testing times for democracy and maybe big possibilities too. Over the past five years, we and others have focused rather a lot on the rise of political strongmen, the way they seem to be able to bend rules to their own advantage. Three of the world's most powerful leaders, after all, over that period, took steps to hold on to power beyond their designated terms of office. Donald Trump, he failed, but Vladimir Putin did achieve it, and China's Xi Jinping is trying extremely hard on this front. Plus, this week, Indonesia witnessed demonstrations at rumours President Wododo might be considering term limits. Could these end up being own goals, though? These efforts to strengthen their authority without pesky things like democracy's democracy's checks and balances. That is, what looks like strength just might make them less agile uh, and able to adapt to the dramatic shifts of this century than slightly messy democracy is. Well, Larry Diamond's one of America's leading political scientists and students of democracy. He thinks we're seeing some interesting examples of rigidity play out via the Ukraine crisis. I'll let him explain. Larry Diamond, welcome to Saturday Extra. Oh, thank you so much, Geraldine. Larry, your latest book a title sort of outlines it all. Ill Winds, Saving Democracy from Russian Rage, Chinese Ambition and American Complacency. And this all long before the big shooting started in Ukraine. Yes, well, uh, long before the shooting started, it was very clear that Russia was trying to resurrect its authoritarian great power influence and domination even uh, over the former Soviet Union and beyond, and that China had plans that you and Australia, I think, see much more clearly than most of the world uh, to become a hegemonic power. Yes, of course, you're right. But I think that um, it was still not entirely clear, and I think the same is in, in, with China, um, as to whether this does indicate insecure, well, whether it indicates um, flaws in the model. I think there's still a sense, and I'm just wondering how you think of it now, that this is still um, a sort of an example of strength being exhibited when, in fact, I think you're starting, I think you think it, it could be quite the reverse. Well, whether it's strength or weakness, it's very bad for freedom and democracy. We can't get inside the minds of the autocrats, but we can certainly observe their behavior. Uh, And the behavior that can be observed of the Chinese communist system in general, not just Xi Jinping personally, has been one of deepening authoritarianism and what I have called in my book, neo-totalitarianism for some time to come, it's not only what uh, the Chinese Communist Party has been doing uh, in Xinjiang, before that in Tibet, you see what's going on in Hong Kong now. It's this Orwellian effort to build a social credit system that will track and monitor digitally everything that the Chinese people do and say and protest or even give a hint of independent thinking about. And now this is, uh, you know, most people in the world are not yet quite aware of this. But again, you in Australia may be a little bit more than most. China's uh, beginning to roll out a central bank digital currency uh, that it will want 
its neighbors and trading partners to use as well, that will supercharge its efforts to track and control all of the behavior, all of the purchases, all of the movements, and all of the potentially dangerous opinions of not only its own people, but the people it does business with. Yeah, whether they get away with that, of course, is that's what's become so fascinating in the whole Ukraine yeah. thing, that uh, you've got to have a free and open trading system for people to trust their money to you. Look, um, you've looked closely at how democracies function in times of crisis. What have you come to the uh, conclusion about what distinguishes democracies from autocracies that allows them to change course, to examine decisions before committing to a court of action, which is exactly what seems to be sort of befuddling all of us in trying to work out Vladimir Putin's decision-making around uh, Ukraine. Well, Geraldine, I think we see it in Putin's catastrophic miscalculations in Ukraine, but I think we're also seeing it now in China in terms of the uh, COVID. horrible, paralyzing shutdown of social uh, and economic life in Shanghai and other Chinese cities. Coming to uh, Ukraine and Russia first, what autocrats lack is independent and objective sources of information. And people who will tell them the truth and people who will be prepared to tell the emperor that he may be wearing no clothes. And precisely because authoritarian regimes tend to have narrower sources of information and less checks on or pluralism of information, they're more inclined to believe their own propaganda and therefore to make really catastrophic mistakes and then not have the means to correct them once they uh, tread down a really dangerously misguided path. And that's, I think, what we are seeing now uh, in Ukraine. And because no general wants to tell Vladimir Putin that he miscalculated, because he's not really getting independent sources of information, he keeps compounding his errors in Ukraine. And sadly, I think the Russian people, the Ukrainian people, and and the world are, are paying dearly for it. But Please do not fail to note the really serious humanitarian catastrophe that is unfolding, again, in Shanghai and a number of other cities in China now, as China uh, and the Chinese Communist Party leadership under Xi Jinping panic uh, at the uh, outbreaks of COVID-19 and the Chinese leadership continues to stubbornly refuse to vaccinate the Chinese people in a way that would give them you know, more or less effective. Well, yeah, I mean, but we'll again, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, I, I just wonder how long they can actually afford to risk Shanghai erupting. I mean, that's always the source of such problems for the Chinese communists. Right, um, right. So that, that will be a fascinating thing to watch over the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And more.
Yeah, and more. Um, Look, but, could, uh, could, could I raise a couple of, because people are really, you've really prompted people to think, and um, there's a very interesting, Tom Friedman from the New York Times wrote a very interesting piece um, mm -hmm. that alerted me to some of your work. And he has this lovely, um, one of his favourite lyrics, he says, from the musical Hamilton, which he thinks is so relevant. It's when George Washington explains to Alexander Hamilton why he is voluntarily stepping down and not running for a third term. Washington says, if we get this right, we're going to teach them how to say goodbye, you and I. Hamilton says, but Mr. President, they'll say you're weak. And Washington says, no, they will see we're strong. Now, this is at the core, isn't it? This succession, this ability to hand over power uh, peacefully and successfully and to maintain your own dignity and prestige. Uh, this is what you see lacking in the Victor Orbans, is it? And the other places that are like the Erdogans teetering, if they're not already autocracies? Well, uh, most of all with Vladimir Putin, who's now been in power for 22 years. And think of what happens when an authoritarian leader has an increasingly narrow circle of advisors and business cronies and favorite generals that he's promoted. Uh, and you're into the 22nd year of this. Inevitably, uh, even if it started out well, and it didn't start out that well under Vladimir Putin, it goes bad. Uh, and it becomes increasingly massively kleptocratically corrupt, which has been the story of Russia. And, and competence is bound to decline. Uh, can and I just why, Russia, why why does it descend into kleptocracy? You're right, of course, but why well, is this happens everywhere? Because uh, human nature, being what it is, uh, Lord Acton was right: power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So, what keeps us honest, Geraldine, as human beings, is scrutiny, is constraint, is a rule of law is the independent media that you represent, is checks and balances. It keeps us from having our own worst instincts and human nature take over. And when uh, an elected leader like Erdogan or Putin initially uh, quashes all of these independent sources of information, all of these checks on his power, then the worst instinct instincts take over and the worst and most exploitative personalities attach themselves to the ruler. And what you get is increasingly corrupt, unaccountable uh, uh, governance that is really just divorced from objective sources of information. And possibly and also inefficiency. I mean, there's some um, very interesting piece by a man called Dan Slater from the University of Michigan, um, director of the Weiser Center for Emerging Democracies. Uh -huh. And he, he has this very uh, interesting sort of thesis that stable democracy rests on lasting economic bargains between the state and its citizens. And he quotes, you know, um, South Korea, Japan, Taiwan and Singapore in our region, but the rest, not really. And it, he, he says that inefficient business oligarchs who don't care about state strengthening emerge 
when you start to go into an autocratic state. Now, this is obviously something that really preoccupies you as well, the inefficiency of it, not just the un- injustice of it. Correct. Um, uh, and the lack of... Um the lack of integrity, uh, the lack of any kind of discipline, the lack of market competition, what you get is crony capitalism. If I could slightly amend what you said, um, I think the one country that's a bit of an outlier in that group, but still appropriately placed, is Singapore. Yes, because it's, it's yeah. not mm. a democracy. No, quite. But Singapore is the only, I think virtually the only non-democracy in the world where the ruling party has managed to realize that they had to have a rule of law in the business and economic sector in order to restrain crony capitalism and potentially their own uh, descent into bad governance, and as you put it, ineffectiveness. But almost every other authoritarian regime has failed to learn that lesson. David Brooks, also who writes a lot uh, from in the New York Times, he wrote about globalisation, thinking out loud as to whether uh, it is related to the health of democracy. Globalisation and the sort of role of urban elites. Now, this is a very live story, as you know, particularly in your country. What's your take on that? Well, I think for a long time, globalisation looked like it was promoting democratization and liberal values in the open society. And certainly I think the free flow of goods, of services, of people and ideas is in the abstract um, a desirable thing. But globalization untempered by protection for people who were being displaced and globalization without the regulation that would contain increasing economic inequality has, I think now undeniably fed illiberal populism. You've managed, I think many people would say in comparative terms to substantially avoid the worst elements of it in Australia, but you know, Donald Trump, the United States, France, we'll see what happens with Marine Le Pen. Hungary, you mentioned with Viktor Orban. Uh, Poland with law and justice. Turkey with the Justice and Development Party and Erdogan. You're going to see probably Ferdinand Marcos Jr. Hmm. uh, elected president of the Philippines soon. I mean, globalization is carrying a lot of ill winds right now. We have to recognise that. So can you see um, change coming? I mean, your colleague at Stanford, Francis Fukuyama, um, has recently written, and I'm quoting him here, a Russian defeat, that's what happens, in Ukraine will make possible a new birth of freedom and get us out of our funk about the declining state of global democracy, thanks to a bunch of brave Ukrainians. Is this wishful thinking on his part, or do you agree? I do not think it's wishful thinking uh, to argue that there is a very substantial possibility that Ukraine will essentially prevail uh, and that Russia and Putin will lose in their bid to dominate, control, and in effect, in one way or another, conquer Ukraine. 
but it's not a done deal. Uh, I think it's extremely open-ended. Were Ukrainian, uh, the Ukrainian army, the Ukrainian parliament, the Ukrainian President Zelensky to prevail, I think it would be an enormous victory for democracy in the world, not just in Ukraine. But that hasn't happened yet. Mm. And it's going to depend on how much we can assist Ukrainians, uh, on what China does, what Russia does. It's, it's very much still an open-ended situation. And look, a tricky question here about the role of leadership and the role of the perceived strong leader. And and this is really, I think, underpinning all you're talking about, because, you know, we're in the middle of an election here and this great sort of gnashing of teeth, where are the big leaders, you know, (laughs) of the past? And that happens in a lot of places. The UK is another one. Um, France is, you know, absolutely sort of obsessed with this. So these appearances of someone who rises above and is confident of their authority. You know, that's not exactly in huge relief in democracy at the moment. And yet, I think you believe that nevertheless, democracies are really quite resilient underneath all that. Well, uh, of course, because they may be slower to make decisions. They may make mistakes along the way. But unlike what we're seeing now, with Vladimir Putin and is doubling down on this catastrophic miscalculation in Ukraine. Unlike what we're seeing in China now with Xi Jinping and is doubling down on this disastrous mismanagement of the COVID-19 pandemic, democracies learn from their mistakes. They have open debate, they have monitoring, they have parliamentary scrutiny. Uh, And if elected leaders don't learn from their mistakes, they lose elections and somebody else comes to power who's going to correct the mistakes. And the authoritarian regimes of the world have very little capacity to learn from their mistakes. It is the capacity for policy and institutional self-correction that gives democracies the medium to long-run advantage. But Are we getting the best people to stand uh, up and raise their hands in the modern democracies, given the amount of social media and how much they have to cop, if you know what I mean? Uh, I wonder if you've been thinking about that and whether you've changed your mind on the the quality of character required. Well, um, I haven't changed my mind because I study history and I know how many deficient, disappointing, incompetent and corrupt leaders have been uh, elected to national leadership, not just in emerging market democracies in your neighborhood, uh, in Asia or elsewhere, but in the United States historically as well. So look, at any point in time, democracies are capable of electing corrupt, inept, mediocre or incompetent leaders. But over time, they learn and find their way to a better path. And I would add, since you're in the middle of this now on Australia, bear this in mind. We cannot always recognize in advance what good, capable, and even historically effective leadership uh, might might be that is chosen in an election, uh, but has not yet revealed itself. Nobody saw, I really think nobody saw in Ukraine how heroic a leader 
Vladimir Zelensky mm. was capable of becoming. We've just done that uh, earlier in the program. Larry Diamond, thank you very much indeed for joining us. My pleasure. And Larry Diamond is a professor of political science and sociology at Stanford University. And his book, it's a heck of a title, um, it is Ill Winds, Saving Democracy from Russian Rage, Chinese Ambition and American Complacency. So uh, check that out when you have the time.